Do you remember the first Christmas gift you ever bought anyone? How many of you do? You remember the first time you ever purchased a Christmas gift for anyone? One, two, three, maybe, maybe a half a dozen of us in here. We can remember the first time with our own money that we went out and bought somebody else a Christmas gift. And I remember feeling so good about standing in line at a Woolworths store. How many of you remember a Woolworths? <laughs> okay. I was standing in line at a Woolworths store, and I got to the checkout counter or the cashier, and there was a man standing right behind me, and he was smiling. He was very friendly and asked me what I was doing, and I was showing him what I bought my mother, what I bought my dad, what I bought my, my sisters, and I had it all right there from the Woolworths store. And I had calculated right down to the penny what I could spend. And that's how much money I had. At that age, I didn't know a single thing about sales tax. <laughs> when they rang up the price of my merchant, I can still remember the gifts that I bought. I bought my dad a, a set of three ink pens, you know, red, black, and blue. You know, I was just thought this was so cool that he'd have three colored ink pens. And well, they rang it up. I panicked, and I said, I don't have that much money, and I asked her to figure again. I said, I figured it up, and she goes, well, there's sales tax, and this kind man behind me tapped me on the shoulder and says, don't worry about it, son, and he reached into his pocket, and he pulled out the sales tax that I needed, and I've never walked out of any place feeling more like, Whew, than I did right at that very moment, but the reason we love to give gifts at Christmas time, and I know that many of us also, in our hearts, we like to receive gifts as well, myself included, but the reason we really love to give gifts and we find more joy in gift-giving than we do in receiving gifts is because God gave us the very first gift. He gave us the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. The very first Christmas gift ever given was Jesus. And God continuously gives and gives and gives to us. Every breath that you and I take, every heartbeat that we have, every meal that we eat, everything around us is a gift to God from us. Yesterday, I got a call from out of state, and I took the call while I was driving from another appointment, and, and we were talking in the car, and <clears throat> this individual also listens online to our, our services, and I don't know how my cell phone number has gotten out there, but it has, and, and that's okay. You can call if you have my cell phone number. If I don't answer, I'll get back to you eventually, or somebody here at the church will, but I, I, I remember that talking to them yesterday, and we were talking about the whole joy of giving gifts. And so I took a moment to share with them my testimony of what God has done in my life. God gave me not only a new life, and God gave me not only a miracle, but God gave me a family that's around the world. We looked at this a few months ago, how that wherever you and I go, in Christ we have family. Wherever I have been, I have met brothers and sisters in Jesus that have welcomed me into their home, have welcomed me into their lives. They've shared their meals. They've shared a bed. They've given me a place to stay. And so literally around the globe, I found family members in Christ. I, I found my life has significance because I can remember when it felt like my life had no significance or no purpose. And 
I can remember that dark time in Emory Hospital in Atlanta, Georgia, when I told them, I said, my life has no value. Why do we keep fighting? And the doctors and the nurses surrounded me. And this was in a day probably in the 60s when people were not afraid to pray with you or ashamed to pray with you. And they prayed with me. And God gave significance. Every one of us in here, God has a reason and a purpose for our living. God gave me something that, that others said I couldn't have, that God wouldn't do, that wasn't possible. God gave me a gift to serve him with, to be able to minister to others, to, to serve others, a pastoral gifting and a calling. And God has given you a gifting, and God has given you a calling. It's a gift that you have to be able to serve somebody and to do something for someone else or to serve a community or to serve a small group or to serve your family. Real, think about what it would be like if everybody had to wait upon you and you could, felt like you couldn't do anything for anybody, but you bring meaning and significance in this life because of the gift that Jesus has given to you. But God also gave you and me a place that we would live forever with him. You know, when Becky says, we have company coming, and she says, you know, we've got to get the house ready. The house is always ready, but there's Becky ready, and there, there's my ready. My ready is just come on in, take your shoes off, and relax. There's the fridge, you know, whatever you want. Becky's ready includes a lot of back-breaking work. Does anybody in here know what I'm talking about? There's Becky ready. And evidently, there's been a lot of getting ready for you and a lot of getting ready for me because Jesus says, in my Father's house, there are many, many rooms. I am going to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, then I'm going to come back and get you. Jesus, I'm ready if you're ready. Can you say amen to that? God is so good to us, and he's preparing a place for you and I. As a little boy, I can remember we sang a song in church called, I've Got a Mansion Just Over the Hilltop, and I would often dream about what that mansion would look like, and I would often lay in bed at night and think about what's that place going to be like for you and me, but I know this, that whatever God is preparing, it is unique for you, it is unique for me, because God created each of us to have a unique place in his family, and in his kingdom. We have four wonderful children. No one could take the place of any of our children. For those of you that have lost a child, you know the pain that comes when somebody says to you, well, God will give you another child to replace that child. You can never replace a child. You can never replace a family member. There's just that one because they're so unique. And this morning, I want to talk to you about Christmas giving, giving of our lives, giving of our time, giving of our talent, and giving of our treasure. There's something about children they love to give. As a child, even though I hadn't really encountered saving grace yet, I wanted to give to my parents. It would be when I was a teenager at 16 when I gave my heart to Christ, almost 17 years old when I surrendered my life to Jesus, but there was something in me I, I wanted to give as well as to receive. Rob Bliss did a video study that went viral about what happens when kids choose between receiving a gift or giving a gift. 
And in order to do this study, he went and worked among low-income children, and they were given the option of getting any gift that they personally wanted. And before the video, they were asked what they wanted, or they were given the option of giving their family a gift. And what they discovered it is over 80% of the children chose not to take the gift of a lifetime that they said that they wanted, but they chose to get a gift to give to their family. One little kid said this to himself, nine years old. He says, your family matters, not Legos, not toys, so your family. So if I have to choose between my family or Legos, I choose family. Isn't that incredible? For a child to say that I choose family. And friends, I want you to understand that sums up for me what God must have thought when he sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. God said, I choose family. I give Christ to come and to save us so that God could adopt us as his sons and his daughters. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? That's an amazing story to me. So let me talk about giving for just a moment. Giving is Christ-like. Giving is when we are like Jesus. Jesus was constantly giving. I went through the Gospels trying to find a place where Jesus took. I saw where Jesus maybe received a gift from somebody that gave to him. I saw where Jesus accepted help from other people as they sought to help him. But it was always to further the mission that he had to do what his father sent him to do, which was to come and seek and save the lost. And so Jesus not only constantly was giving, Jesus made the ultimate gift of his life when he sacrificed himself for our sins at Calvary. I made a, just a few things that uh, started coming to mind as I was going through the Gospels. He gave forgiveness. He gave a fresh start. He gave faith for living. He gave people a future. He gave people focus for their lives or significance or purpose for their lives. He gave them fulfilling dreams, something to live for and to aspire to rather than just doing, doing the day-to-day. He gave himself. He gave food. He gave healing. He gave eyesight. He gave hearing. He restored the cripple. It seems like that everything that Jesus did was marked like giving. And if we're going to be like Jesus, then it's not going to be a matter of telling people they're wrong about this or they're wrong about that. If we're going to be like Jesus, it's not going to be holier than thou. It's not going to be judgmental. If we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to be giving people. The Bible says in Psalms 37 and verse 21, the godly are generous givers. People who give of their time and their talent, their treasure, their story, or their testimony. Secondly, you know you and I live in a very materialistic, self-centered age. I threw out one big garbage bag. I just was collecting all the catalogs that came to our house. I was surprised how many of those catalogs had my name on it. I don't buy stuff from those companies. I don't want stuff from those companies. But I carried out to the recycling bin a great big bag of catalogs that began arriving at our house just before Thanksgiving because they knew that it would be about things evidently that I like. There were things about computers. There were things about cars. There were things about clothes. There were things about jewelry. There were things about well, things that I shouldn't even mention in here this morning. But let's just say it was somebody's secret that they were sending to me, and I don't buy that kind of stuff. The thing is, 
I got all of these catalogs and I took it out to the recycling bin because everything around us is made to focus upon ourselves. Proverbs 18.1 says this, it is selfish and stupid to think only of yourself. Read that with me. It is selfish and stupid. Now see, you're all on the hook for saying stupid with me. It is selfish and stupid to think only of yourself. But godly people, Christ-like people, generous people are constantly thinking of others. This came from a Baptist pastor friend of mine. I'm not smart enough to write something like this. But a Baptist pastor friend of mine wrote about this, about the gospel being a cure for selfishness. And he wrote these three things. The reason that we don't have to live selfishly is because our significance is in Christ. The reason we don't have to live a self-centered life is our security is in Christ. And the reason that we don't have to live a self-centered life is because our graciousness is due to the grace of God in our life. We can give because God gives to us. Last night as I was praying in the sanctuary and just asking God to move <clears throat> in our services today and tonight or this evening at 5 o'clock, I remember standing right over here where you guys are sitting and I was praying about the grace of God and thanking God for how He has given us so much that we don't deserve, how God has poured into our lives and poured into this church. And, and as I stood there just thinking about God's grace to us, I realized that's what makes us secure and generous in our giving because we realize that our God is able to do the impossible through us. Years ago, I told the story about having had an experience like common to what John Ortberg had written about. I had taken one of my kids out to McDonald's over here at West Road and, and uh, Hall Road, and, and I, we were eating at McDonald's, and I asked if I could have one of the French fries, and they told me no. They were his french fries. And I remember thinking to myself, I bought those french fries. So I said, I bought those french fries. He goes, they're still my french fries. You bought them for me. And I thought, you little twerp, I could take your french fries. I'm bigger than you. I'm stronger than you. I could buy all the french fries they got in this McDonald's today. I could afford to buy it. Well, not afford, but I could do it if I wanted to. And then later I read John Ortberg had the same similar experience, and I've heard this story all around. Here's the deal. Why would we ever be stingy with others and stingy with God when God is so generous and gracious to us and God can give to us pressed down, shaken together, and running over without measure? Can we give him a hand of praise for that? <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, those three things were not in your outline, but they're on the app if you want to look at them later. Number three, giving always involves a relationship. Giving always involves a relationship. One of the things that I enjoyed so much when Becky and I were working in Europe and ministering there was how often, and this happened in the early 90s, mid-90s, it doesn't happen as much in the times that we've gone because this generation is dying off. But so many times people in France or Belgium or Holland or even Germany would walk up to us and kiss our hands, the elderly people. Just take our hand and kiss it and say, when you go home, thank your parents. Thank your parents for coming and liberating us. Thank your parents for coming and freeing us. And it wasn't our parents, it was actually our grandparents, 
But the fact that we could come home and say to Granddaddy Gibson, people are still grateful. People are still thankful. I, I remember talking with Ed, one of our members of the church, and telling Dick the same story, how people would come up and seeing the tears come in their eyes because they had fought those battles and yet there's still this sense of relationship between what Tom Brokaw has called the greatest generation. When you give of your life, when you give of your time, when you give of your, of your finances, your treasure, when you give of your life story, you're connecting and you're building relationships with people. One of my lost friends just recently said to me, and we were having lunch together, and I encourage you, build relationships with lost people. The longer you know the Lord, the longer you walk with the Lord, the less people in your close circle will be lost people. And we need to reach people with the love of Jesus. And he looked at me, and he laid down his fork and his knife, and he said, can I ask you a question? He said, how did this friendship emerge how do you explain this friendship that has emerged between us and that has grown so close? And I said, the only way I can explain it to you is because of the change that God has made in my heart through his son, Jesus Christ, and his eyes missed it up. You see, oftentimes we think just about money of giving because that's what we're asked the most for. But when we're asked about our time, when, we, when we're asked to give of our time, when we're asked to give of our, our friendship, when we're asked to share our story with people, we're building relationship with them. And never think you don't have enough time. Never think you don't have enough money. Never think you don't have a, enough talent. Never think little and scarce. God is not the God of scarcity. God is the God of abundance. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 10 this morning. God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. Now, in this passage, he is talking about finances but that's true of everything. People will begin to thank God because you've poured into their lives. You're like Jesus. You're becoming like Christ. But maybe you're thinking, well, not everybody like Jesus. Well, there's hard soil. There's weeds and thorn-infested soil. But there's good soil. But the farmer just keeps sowing his seed, sowing his seed, sowing his seed, whether it's falling on hard ground, thorn-infested ground, or good ground, because he knows the more I sow, the more I can expect. Do you get the principle? The more I sow, the more I can expect. One of my grandsons is really caught up in the movie Wally right now. So the other night, I'm standing in the kitchen, and he's watching Wally, and this little guy is saying, I, I don't know the story, but this little guy is sitting in front of the screen and he just gets so excited because he says to another robot, do you realize there was a time on earth 
when you could put a seed in the ground. You could pour water on it, and then something would grow from it, and got all excited. I thought about this message this morning. Do you realize, church, you can put a seed in the ground by faith and water it with prayer, and there is going to be fruit because God is the one that gives fruit for the harvest. Can we give him another hand of praise for that? Never underestimate, never underestimate, never underestimate what God can do through you today. Somebody sent me this week this, and I just loved it. And what I'd like you to do is I'm going to read John 3.16, but if you'll just skip on past the verse because we'll read it, and I want you to read this. I'll read the first part. You read the second part, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave the, his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that amazing? Can we go back now to the verse? Would you put that up there, John 3, 16? And let's read this together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Friends, when I read that broke down in those phrases, I read it over and over to myself, and I would encourage you, read those over and over, and send me things that you think are helpful Somebody sent me the verses, or sent Becky and I the verses to a song that was written by Precept Ministries, which was Kay Arthur's ministry, if any of you are familiar, uh, to the set to the tune, a few of my favorite things. I've already sang it twice because it was such a blessing. A few of my favorite things. Listen, don't ever underestimate what God will do through your influence. Number four, giving is the consistent way of the abundant life. And the reason it's the consistent way is because Luke 6 and verse 38, God says that generosity begets generosity. Generosity begets generosity. There's something about being generous that causes people to be generous to you. There's something about being generous that causes people to open their doors to you. There's something about giving of your time that when you need someone's time, they make time for you. There's something about giving friendship that when you need a friend, and look at me, don't miss this, every one of you, at some point in your life, you're going to need a real friend. You're going to need somebody through thick or thin, that will be a friend to you. And the way you soar into that is that you become that friend that stands through thick or thin. Generosity is consistent. It's not sporadic. When I ask occasionally for a giving report in our church, 
It's not the most well-to-do people in our church that give the best or give the most. It's the people who are consistent in their giving, whether they're retired or whether they're on a pension or, or whether they make little or whether it's people who are consistent in their giving. They're not sporadic. They don't wait till something moves them emotionally, but they've made a decision to be faithful in their lifestyle. The people who, who do our ministries are the people who are consistent Consistent time and show up whether the weather's good or whether the weather's bad. They're the people that are consistent with their time and their volunteer. The people that are bringing others to Christ, the people who bought lost people to our church on Friend Day, are the people who are consistent. We learn something on Friend Day, and that is when we are consistent with our testimony, sharing our story, people want to know how God made the change in us. And the reason that we become consistent is because we have found that giving blesses us. Giving blesses us. That's the reason that Jesus said, and it's recorded in the book of Acts, that to give is more blessed than to receive. Now, right now, my grandsons, they're so funny. They're just ready for the gifts. Matter of fact, one of them has already pulled out all of his gifts and got them in one big pile under the Christmas tree. And I, he said to me, he says, Papa, and he just did this right here. He says, all of these are mine. I said, all of them? He goes, all of them. And he goes, Papa, I know what that one is. <laughs> I go, how do you know? He says, look at the shape of the box. That'll tell you what it is, Papa. I love that. He's already got his hall <laughs> over to the side. He already knows and has envisioned what it is. And I pray his mom and daddy hasn't disappointed him that what's in that box has got him really excited. And this particular grandson, you may think he might be self-centered, but I did the french fry test with him this week. He and I went out for a movie together, and before we went to the movie, we went to Chick-fil-A, and we got to Chick-fil-A, and we got our chicken, and we got our, our, our drinks, our sweet iced tea, and we got, our, we, we got our meal, and there were the fries. And so I just did a little experiment. Was he like his daddy? And I said, may I have a French fry? He goes, yes, Papa, have two. What a saint he is. Thanks be to his mama. <laughs> I did the french fry test. You see, giving is a consistent way of living in our lives. It's what blesses us. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 15, verse 10, give generously to the poor and not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. That's what we're doing in this Christmas offering. It's not for the funds at Woodland. It's not for anything particular thing we're doing at Woodland. This is to bless others. Look at Psalms 112 and verse 5. If you need some good to come into your life, good will come to those who are generous. And so if you feel like there's been a lot of bad in your life right now, why don't you try giving of your time and your talent and treasure? Look at this. I feel sorry for stingy people. I feel sorry for the Grinches of this world. Proverbs 11 and verse 24. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. If you feel like 
like you need to prosper, and I'm not preaching health and wealth prosperity, but if you feel like your income needs to grow, if you feel like your opportunities need to increase, the Bible says learn to give freely and your opportunities will increase. Look at Proverbs 11 and verse 25. The generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. So if you feel like for some reason you need some spiritual refreshment, you need some physical refreshment, you need some emotional refreshment, then decide this morning, I'm going to live as a giver like Jesus was of your time, your talent, your treasure, and your testimony. And I look around this morning, and I hadn't planned this, but when I look around this morning, I see Beth in the back that this church sent her to be a missionary to the Netherlands. I see John Crace up in the sound room that's getting ready to go to Estonia because of the generosity of this church and other churches in their lives. I look at Chris and Rachel who are heading out on the 26th to do a, a missions retreat for missionary kids, all because of the generosity of this church. And there are some of you in this building this morning that you yourself, you've been a part of a miracle of building and putting in water treatment facilities. You feed children every single day. It's why God continues to bless our lives at Woodland because this church is not a consuming church. This church is a giving church. And I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for being a generous people this morning. Can we give God a hand of praise for how he has blessed us as a congregation? And then finally this morning, giving is an eternal investment. It's eternal investment. When those old people would come up and kiss our hands in Europe, and many of them would just be bowed over. They didn't realize I had just recently done, a service, done services for the United States military in many of our cemeteries down in France, D-Day. And I would find myself coming in just weeping at night because what was it about that generation that Brokaw would call them such an amazing generation? And we can't let our history be built just off of books, good books like Tom Brokaw wrote or good series like Band of Brothers. But sometimes we need to go back a little deeper and look at the faith of a nation and the faith of churches. And right prior to World War II breaking out, during the depths of the Depression, there was a tremendous revival that broke out in America. And suddenly, little small Bible groups and prayer groups and churches were springing up. People were flocking out to hear the gospel and young men and women were being sent overseas that had a faith implanted in their heart. Our country more than ever today needs a revival. Our country more than ever needs a move of God, not at the White House, but at your house and my house and in this house and houses of worship like this because we have a generation of young people, three and four generations removed from the body of Christ. And when we give of our time, when we give of our talent, when we give of our treasure, when we give of our story or our testimony, 
we are saying to God that your glory matters more than ever. And the pattern we have of that is because of the eternal investment God made when he sent Jesus to come and die for your sins and my sins that we might be adopted into the family of God. How could we ever treat that cavalierly? How could we ever live lukewarm Christian lives? I think it's why Luke 16 and verse 9 says, use your worldly resources to benefit others. In this way, your generosity stores up reward for you in heaven. In other words, you're not living afraid of the future. You're not living afraid of the past. You're not living afraid of the now. But you're using it to benefit others. The Bible tells me to tell you this. So I read it to you from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Tell them to use their money to do good. Always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. And by doing this, they will be storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven. It's the only safe investment for eternity. And they will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well. So say, so Pastor, how do I, what do I do with this? Number one, I just suggest just a few things. Number one, focus on your attitude, not how much you give. When I ask for the giving stats from our church, again, it's not people who give a big check occasionally. It's the people who give consistently over time. They support missions. They support kids' ministries, youth ministries. They tithe. But over a period of a year and over a period of a lifetime, they have made an internal investment of their life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, 12, if you're really eager to give, then it isn't important how much you have to give. God wants you to give what you have, not what you haven't. Would you read that last sentence with me? God wants you to give what you have and not what you haven't. Don't focus on if your amount is big or little. Remember that little woman that came Jesus said she's given more than anybody else. It's the heart. Number two, be thoughtful. Be prayerful. Be thoughtful. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each of you must make up your own mind about how much to give. <laughs> I want you to look right here at me. I can honestly say to you, and to everybody that I've ever preached or raised money from, I have never, ever, ever twisted, guilted, or manipulated anybody into giving. And if you ever feel pressured into giving, don't give. If you ever feel pressured to give in your time, if you ever feel pressured to give in your finances, if you ever feel pressured, just don't give. If somebody asks you to, to give and they start putting the pressure on you, just look and say, my pastor says I shouldn't give when I feel like this. Just tell them about me. Say, call my pastor. He said I shouldn't do this right now. I'd like to talk to him anyway. We don't give out of guilt. We give out of love and we give out of conviction. But make up your own mind. Give freely. Don't feel you're forced to give. And then finally, give cheerfully. We have a mother in our church who's now successfully raised three grown sons. 
one of them's coming in from out of town and not too long, and I'm going to have the opportunity to dedicate their firstborn. The other two live out west, and I'm so proud of all of them. But I remember when their marriage fell apart. I remember the struggle they had. And I can remember how she would always gather the boys around, munchkins. They'd come to our house, and she'd gather them around. She'd write out her tithe check, first thing to Woodland. She'd point out what they were going to give to missions, what they were going to give to tithe. And then when the boys got a little older, and they began to understand how much things cost because she needed them to understand the financial pressures on their family. And she would talk to Becky and I about this, They'd say, well, Mom, we can't afford to give that much. We've got this, we've got that. And she goes, no, we'll do much better if we put God first. We'll do much better with 90% if we put God. I know it doesn't make sense mathematically, but it will do much better if we put God first. And those boys grew up seeing God provide time and time and time again while their mother put God first. And then to have lunch with each of them when they graduated from high school, and to have lunch with them when they were home from college, and see what God is doing in their lives today. You see, parents, you're either building chains of insecurity and scarcity, or you're breaking chains of insecurity and scarcity that will go down through the generations man touched me on the shoulder six cents or whatever it was three cents sales tax in those days that almost kept me from getting what I needed to get my parents or wanted to get my parents for Christmas to this day I remember him I think I would recognize him if he was still alive one summer I felt I felt really led I felt really led that I was supposed to go and, as a young single man and preach in churches. People were calling and asking me to come preach. I was only 19 years old. I had some troubling health conditions that made me say to people, you know, there are certain things I can't do and there are certain things I can do. And they would ask me to come anyway. Sometimes they would say to me, would you preach for two weeks every single night? I didn't have that many sermons. But I felt like one night, and my roommate, who's Paul Clendenning, that's assistant, he's the assistant DA for the state of Florida, was praying with me, and some of my other friends were like, you need to do this. My parents weren't sure if I should do it, but I did it. I didn't know how I was going to pay for gas. I didn't know how I was going to pay for food or anything, but I did it. I preached in tiny little churches. I preached in medium-sized churches. But I spent a whole summer preaching. And just before it was time to go back to school, I got a school bill. No kidding. I got a school bill from Southeastern that I didn't know that I owed. $400. If you look that up today, that would be over $2,000. 
to go back to school on that I had to pay. And I went to preach that final week. My daddy had called me and says, you owe $400 or you're not going to be able to, to enroll for the last semester. And, and I said, okay. And I went to this little bitty church in a little bitty town called Clinchfield, Georgia. Little bitty church. And at the end of that week, they gave me a check for $475. I had never seen that much money in my life that belonged to me. I had never seen that much money. That would be about $2,400 today. I was over, and I told the pastor. And he said, would you tell the church this? He said, because we've never given this much money to anybody. And I said, yeah, if you want me to. And so I told the church, they had me come back later in the year, and I told the church, and you know what they did? They took around and took another offering up to pay for my next semester of college. And what I learned from them was this. You can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. Don't let a mindset of scarcity, don't let a mindset that it's mine, if you will understand 2 Corinthians 9, 7, God loves people who love to give cheerfully. If you will understand that principle, life will go well for you because Jesus will see to it. Will you stand with me this morning and let me pray with you before we go. Shepherds came and worshiped you. Lord, even men from Persia who were not believers but had enough faith, O oh Lord, in the Scriptures to follow a star until it stood over the place where you were at, Jesus, and they came in and then they became believers. I ask you this day, Lord, would you touch us and God, would you help us not just to sing the songs or talk about the faith, but help us to live and to practice the faith, God, with joy unspeakable in our hearts. I pray right now that those that are listening to me, that nobody will feel pressured, but they'll just simply learn about one of the greatest life principles at all, that if we're going to be like you, then, Lord, we have to learn to give. And now, finally, Father, I pray for those that have, may have never crossed the line before. They've never given their hearts to you. Maybe they once used to walk close to you, but they've grown distant in their faith. God, would you touch them? Would you do what the Bible calls conviction? Would you let them know this is truth this morning? that Christ came into this world to save sinners like you, like me, Lord. You came to save people just like us. And if that's you, would you pray this prayer with me tonight? Would you say, Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to save me from my sin. Thank you for the gift of new life. Thank you for having always given to me every breath I've ever taken, 
every heartbeat I have. Now, as much as I know how, I give my life to you, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me online, or if you prayed it here, don't leave this church today without stopping by our connections desk right outside this door. We have something we want to give you to help you get started. And if you'll leave me your name and address, then I promise you on Monday or Tuesday, you'll get a, I'll email you a letter or I'll send you a, a snail mail, whatever you prefer. I want to help you get started with your new life in Christ. God bless you. I'll see you tonight at 5 o'clock. My message tonight is Christmas is for everyone. God bless you for being a wonderful, giving people. Go and give somebody hope today. God bless. You're dismissed.